Well, would you join me in a word of prayer before this morning's message? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. How many days left of Christmas, kiddos? Three. Three. Thank you. All right. He's... He's on it. So anybody excited for Christmas this year? You know, the last several years I have fasted during Advent season. um, So I haven't had any Christmas cookies or anything like that. Um, And I found that it makes me look really forward to Christmas. Because during my fast, I don't eat any meat, uh, any sugar, any yeast, uh, or anything else I like, basically. So uh, (laughs) lots of veggies. Um, And Christmas Day, we're going to have a Christmas ham, and I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, And so uh, it's something that I've done as a spiritual discipline the last several years uh, to make me look forward, to help me look forward to Christmas. Um, And uh, so I am really looking forward to Christmas. But one of the things when you look forward to something and you have great expectations on it is you can be disappointed. Like, take that ham, for instance, right? If, if it's not a good ham for some reason, if it's, uh, if it's burnt, that'd be a real bummer when you've been looking forward to a ham all month long, right? Um, uh, there are those times in life where our expectations aren't met and we become disappointed. Anybody experience that with a, maybe a Christmas in your recent or distant past where there was something that you wanted or something you wanted to do or somebody you wanted to be with and they weren't there or you didn't get that thing or you didn't get to do the thing that you were looking forward to. Anybody remember that? You know, my grandmother, Grandma Steiger, she was, and yes, they were the people that invented the Steiger tractor. My Grandma Steiger, she always had one of those Sears and Roebuck catalogs. The Christmas catalog. I mean, it was like, you know, the phone book. It was the phone book of toys for children. And every year she had us kids go through that catalog and circle what we wanted. But there were some stipulations. I mean, you could circle whatever you wanted, but you knew grandma would spend about 10 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) And so as we got older, we started figuring this out, right? Because we would oh, man, look at that. And we'd circle things. And then next thing we know, we're like, okay, she bought the less expensive items that I wanted. And when you're a kid, uh, especially a boy, right? The worst thing you could possibly get, boys, is what? Clothes. Yeah. Did you hear that? Moms, take note. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was, I mean, I didn't even, that wasn't even prepped. I mean, they just knew. What I, where I was going with that. There are times that you get that donut-shaped box under the tree, and you're thinking Krispy Kreme, but it ends up being a dress shirt, right? I mean, that's such a bummer. <laughs> I'm getting older now. I kind of appreciate that stuff. But uh, there's things, though, in life that disappoint us. And Christmas could be one of those things. In fact, it has a reputation for disappointing It started with the first one. You might think, huh? 
you know, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 2 today. We're going to do it again on Christmas Eve. It's going to be a different sermon, so you, you still should come. It will be fun. But Luke chapter 2 records the birth of Jesus. And it's really interesting because this is the only place in Scripture, it's the only place in history that we have his birth recorded. And you've all heard this story. In fact, uh, Charlie Brown made a special of it. And Linus quoted it from memory. And him being a cartoon, he's smarter than me. And uh, I haven't totally memorized this yet. But uh, I'd like to read to you Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord Lord, shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, right? We always hear it that way, and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. I bet you didn't hear the disappointing parts of that story. In fact, part of the reason we can't hear the disappointing parts of the story is because St. Francis Assisi in 1223 AD created for us the first nativity scene. And he created a nativity scene. And from 1223 till today, uh, we have a tendency to put up little statues of Mary and Joseph and Jesus and uh, shepherds. And we throw in the wise men for good measure because they're mentioned in Matthew. But my guess is that there was some disappointment that first Christmas. We've been looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And today we want to look at this story from her vantage point. We want to we see what it must have been like to be a 13-year-old without an epidural. Delivering a baby in a stable. Uh, We want to consider what it must have been like for her. and, And did it live up to her expectations? 
Did this experience, was it what she had been dreaming about for nine months? You know, kind of like how we dream about Christmas from about the time Thanksgiving ends till, uh, till Christmas Day. We start to dream, especially when we're kids, we dream up what we want. And we build our expectations on that day. And much in the same way, my guess is Mary put together some expectations on that day, on the birth of Jesus. I mean, if you remember, when the angel appeared to her, he said, Gabriel, she had it on good authority, that Gabriel, the angel, said to her, your son will be great. He will be son of the most high God. He is the Messiah. He will rule on the throne of David, and there will be no end to his reign. <laughs> That's heady words. Uh, if you've had a child, you, you know that when you're expecting that child for nine months, you sit around, you dream, right? You, you anticipate, you, you prepare, and you sit around, and I remember when Marnie and I were expecting Sam, and I'd get home from work, and, and she would sit back, and she'd like, touch, feel. He's moving. Be like, whoa, that's weird. It's crazy. It's amazing. And you use your imagination to, to think, what are they going to look like? Who are they going to look like? What are they going to be like? When can he play? Right? That's what dads are thinking. In fact, when Sam was born, that was like my first thought. When can he play? I got a ball glove. Let's go. And when Bailey was born, I thought, she's never leaving the house. And young men never can come by. And I need to buy a shotgun right now. And my guess is that Mary and Joseph sat around and they, they dreamed, what would this son of ours be like? I mean, we, we didn't even have to think about names because that was picked for us. Uh, in that announcement, uh, Mary was told, you will name him Jesus, which means uh, God with us. Actually, it means, Jesus, uh, it means God saved, sorry. Emmanuel means God with us, but Jesus means God saves. The name was already picked out before she was even expecting the child. And I wonder if she thought, I'm going to give birth to royalty. You know, when you're a 13-year-old, or for that matter, a 23-year-old, or 33 or 43 or 53, you know, anybody imagine what they would have done with $550 million? This past week, when you went out and you bought your lotto ticket, if you did, anybody imagine, and even if you didn't buy a ticket and you heard the number and you thought, wow, what could I do with that? And my guess is when Mary heard that her son was the Messiah, the promised king of Israel, she must have thought, wow, that's like winning the lotto. And I would imagine that she sat around and she thought, what's his birth going to be like? And what's his life going to be like? And as a result of what his life is going to be like, what's my life going to be like? Because when, I, when, when I've been growing up in this backwater town of Galilee, I am hungry. There's times that there's just not enough food. And I'm cold at night. There's times that we, we just can't stay warm. And, and I know what it's like to feel embarrassed. Because I've grown up in this town and I've given birth, or before I had this child, uh, people talked about me. And I, I know what it's like to be teased. 
I know what it's like, and I I wonder if my kid is going to come along and fix all that. I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think, you know, my kid, because he's the king, and someday he's going to say, hey, quit messing with my mom. Those of you who said that about her, (laughs) you know, stuff happens to them, and off with their heads, right? I mean, we as a world anticipate the births of some children, Uh, This past summer, there was a prince that was born into the world. And on July 22nd, 2013, he was born in the Lindor wing of St. Mary's Hospital to who? You guys know. Come on, ladies. You followed this. I mean, Kate and William. And it was such a spectacle that the the reporters and the photographers, they camped out in front of St. Mary's Hospital. And there was, you know, a watch. There was a worldwide watch for when the young prince would be born. And when he was born, he was eight pounds, six ounces. His name is Prince George, the third in line to the royal throne. And his his birth was announced as is customary. It was announced uh, when they put his uh, birth announcement at in front of Buckingham Palace, and his birth announcement said this. I love how the English word things. This is really cool. Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge, was safely delivered of a son. And that goal was safely delivered of a son. At 4.24 p.m. today, Her Royal Highness and her child are both doing well. (laughs) Her Royal Highness. You kind of wonder what Mary must have thought. Would she be called Her Royal Highness? You know, her story reminds me of another story. I watched it last night. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful life. We watched It's a Wonderful Life. And at the center of this movie is this character, George Bailey. And at the very center of his life, do you know what's at the very center of his life? Bitterness. Bitterness is at the very center of George Bailey's life because all of his life he has made sacrifices. And most of them have been unwillingly. All of his life he has sacrificed. He has dreamt of going on adventures and traveling and going to school. But every single time he's got his bags packed and he's about to board the train. Somebody else. Somebody else gets to leave Bedford Falls. And they get to go live a life of adventure and travel and wealth. And every time George Bailey finds himself sacrificing again so another can go. Time and time and time and time again this happens to George. And the bitterness grows and takes root in his heart. If you've seen the movie, you know that um, it comes to a head where he decides he's going to kill himself. He's going to throw himself off of a bridge, but he can't even do that because what happens? Clarence, a second class angel, jumps in the water because he knows that George will jump in after him to sacrifice his own suicide in order to save Clarence. 
And he gets to see what life without him would be like. And, and he gets to see that uh, a man's life touches many. And when he's not there, it leaves an awful big hole. And basically the whole movie, do you know what the theme of the movie is? It's acceptance. It's for George to accept that this is his life. It's for George to realize that although his life has not lived up to his expectations, although his life has not been all he had hoped and dreamt and desired for it to be, his job is to accept it. To realize that in a small way, it's been a wonderful life. You know, Mary, she had those same opportunities. A 13-year-old, you have your whole life ahead of you, and an angel shows up, and you're going to have a baby. You're going to sacrifice your life for nine months, literally, to carry this thing. Your body's going to swell. You're going to get nauseous. You're not going to feel well. You're not going to travel. You're not going to want to travel. And on top of that, you're not even married. So the guy that you are pledged to be married to, he might reject you. You might be ridiculed in town, most likely will. You could be stoned to death because that's part of the law. Uh, Bad things could happen to you. And Mary says, may it be. She willingly sacrifices for the Messiah. She had the opportunity to get bitter. I'm sure there were some nights she sat and wondered, what if I had said no? (laughs) What if I had said, God, find somebody else? You know, we don't know the whole story. Maybe God went and found others and they said no. I have no idea. I know that that happens today. I know that that happens today, that God sometimes finds somebody, taps them on the shoulder, says, hey, I want you to do this. And we go, that must have been the pizza from last night. (laughs) There is no way that that was God talking to me. And look at this story. Look at this birth. Here, Mary must have been thinking, at least I'm going to be around my family. At least I'm going to be around my friends when this child is born. (laughs) And God has a surprise. Caesar, Augustus, the greatest ruler, arguably, of Rome ever, who ushered in the Pax Romana, issues a decree of a census. And Mary has to ride a donkey, or doesn't even tell us about a donkey. Maybe she walked 85 miles, nine months pregnant. Anybody... Wanting to tackle that one with a pregnant woman? (laughs) You think she had a few questions for God? Uh, Excuse me, I'm carrying the Messiah here. Can't we arrange for this to happen in Nazareth? Is Is that out of your abilities, God? It's interesting, the story doesn't camp out much on what Mary's thinking or what she's feeling, but I know some 13-year-old, 14-year-old girls, and they think different than I. And I know that they have a tendency to see the glass half empty rather than half full. 
My guess is at this point in her life, Mary is not a spiritual giant by any stretch of the imagination. After all, if she's a spiritual giant when she's 13 or 14, what is our problem? She don't even have Jesus yet to help her. And if she's a spiritual giant here, that's impressive. My guess is she's a lot like us. Part of that is in her song, she said, my savior is coming. When she sang about her son. Here she has to go on this long journey and the disappointment begins. I'd hate to be Joe on that drive. Oh, excuse me. Walk. Right? Dear, can I help you? If you just get me. I mean, who knows what it was like, but they're humans. They're humans. We can only put up with so much so long. And then they get to town and Joe hasn't even called ahead for reservations. (laughs) Motel six didn't even leave the line on. In fact, scholars don't know what exactly is going on here. The Greek word for this uh, could be guest room like it was in the in the version I read. And so it could be that uh, Joseph has some relatives (laughs) and he shows up. And they've already given the guest room to other people. And so they're like, yeah, sorry. Um, it's really rude to kick them out, even though she is nine months pregnant. And besides, she looks like she's about to burst. Uh, how about the stable? <laughs> Easier to clean up for us. <laughs> they put her in the stable. Talk about another expectation, right? <laughs> Ruined. I mean, this is an unusual birth for a normal kid, let alone the king of kings, the Messiah. How many of you were born in a stable? Anybody? How many of you, your first crib was a a, a feeding trough for barnyard animals? Anyone? You know, we'd probably call social services about that nowadays. Oh, these people are just horrible parents. And yet, did you hear what the angel said? Here's a sign for you. You will find the baby in a manger. It's a sign. It's a a sign to validate what the angel is saying about the person that is lying in the manger. You see, if he's not in the manger, uh, uh, we got to find another kid. It's not the right one. We came for the kid who's in swaddling clothes in a manger. Another expectation dashed for Mary. And not only is she not surrounded by friends and family, the first visitors are strangers, ladies. Bunch of smelly dudes that have been working the night shift at 7-Eleven show up. Or the feedlot. Hey, angels started singing to us and uh, we just thought, hey, let's go check this thing out. So we did. It's true. There's a baby in a manger, man. (laughs) This is a funny story. But we tend to hallmark it a little bit, don't we? (laughs) So they show up. The sign is the baby. And, And did you catch what the angel said about this baby? Verse 11, 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Do you know what Messiah means? He's the anointed king. He's the one that's first in line for the throne. You know, when I read this story and I look at how God deals with me in my life, I realize God has a sense of humor. And God loves to surprise. And God loves to confound. If you think you've got God all figured out, start thinking again. See, one thing that I learned from this story is that God may fail us in our expectations. But we can trust he will never fail us. God may fail to live up to our expectations, but we can trust he will never fail us. I don't know where you are at today. I don't know what you're experiencing. And maybe this is a hard week coming up because somebody near and dear to you won't be sharing that day with you. Uh, Maybe you recently got news uh, of of an event that is life-changing, life-altering, difficult pill to swallow. And it could lead to bitterness and resentment. Perhaps your life just isn't what you thought it would be. It isn't going the way you want it to be. It isn't the life you signed up for. And you're sick of lemonade because you've had plenty of lemons. And you're just chomping at the bit for one of your expectations, one of the things you're anticipating, one of the things you are anxiously awaiting. You're just wanting, finally, something to happen. It could be as simple as the Broncos beating the Patriots, right? And you are just at the point of breaking. And you're just ready for God to finally show up because Orthodox Christianity teaches that God knows everything and God can do anything. And so therefore, and therefore, why is my life what it is? And I know some of you are wrestling with that. And I know some of you are struggling with that. And all I can tell you is this. God may fail you in your expectations. But you can trust that he will not fail you. You see what's promised? A savior. You see, God knows what we need. And we don't expect that. God knows what will make this world right. He knows what will fix it. He knows what will change it. He knows what will change you. He knows what will transform you. He knows what will transform a community. And he says, trust me. Yeah, but I expected. No, trust me. I will not fail you, says God. I will give you what you really need, a Savior. Some of you, you need to know Christ and you need to come to him today. 
Because if you do not understand that Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life in your place, (laughs) he never had to say, I'm sorry. He never had to say, oops. He never had to say, please forgive me. Never once. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And he put that life on a cross in your place and offered it as a sacrifice so that you could live a life of travel and adventure, of health, of enjoyment, of fulfillment, of abundance. He sacrificed all of that so you could have it. And some of you need to come and know Christ today. And others of us. But we need to hear that if we're bitter, God wants to change that. God wants to transform that. He wants to yank that out of our hearts. And he wants us to realize that he might fail our expectations. But we can trust he will never fail us. You know, imagine a church that understands that. Imagine a a group of people that get that deep in their hearts. That group of people, what would they be willing to do? What would they be willing to sacrifice? What would they be able to lay on the line because they know that my God will not fail me? What could you risk? What could you give up? What could you lay down? See, Mary's story is about sacrifice and laying down her plans for her life. That's why I never like to evangelize people by saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Because when you read this thing, (laughs) it's not what I expect a wonderful life looks like. Instead, I like to say, God loves you. He knows what's best for you. So if you're struggling with expectations are, that have been failed to be met, trust that God will not fail you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, for the opportunity to gather as your kids, to sing songs of praise and worship to you, to receive from you the gift of life, eternal life through Christ, the gift of your grace once again, poured into us. And Lord, I pray that as we have received these gifts, we would give back to you. That we would give in how we live our lives. That your kingdom would come and my kingdom would go. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May we be people who trust in a God who will never fail us. Amen.